0: Grace and Peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians think better about race in a way that is biblical and helpful, clear, and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at uwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, old episodes, and more. I'm Austin Suter, one of the co-hosts, and I'm joined today by a repeat guest, which is not something that happens very often for us. Nate Brooks, professor at RTS, academic writer, friend, is back with us. How are you, Nate?
1: I'm doing good. I'm so glad to be back on here. And I guess I've now learned that the, uh, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. You're coming <laughs> yeah, to me, hard- uh, having me back here.
0: Hardly. We got a ton of good feedback about your last episode, and we are very thankful to have you back with us. Um, your PhD Well, not your PhD work, your work sort of generally focuses on the heart Mm -hmm. and different kinds of change within human beings. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why you chose to focus on that work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a professor of Christian counseling here at RTS, and so a lot of what uh, I do vocationally and ministry-wise is focused on on helping people who are uh, recognizing that there's changes that need to happen in their life, in their heart, and as such— You know, my discipline is really the union of anthropology and theology, as we're trying to understand who we are as people and exegeting our own life stories, uh, and the exegesis of the biblical text, interpreting what God has said to us. And so, uh, a lot of my work is focused on kind of these questions of who are we as human beings, Uh, how has God designed us, how are we transformed, because that directly connects to kind of what I'm doing day in and day out and training our, our students and such.
0: So as people think about what a human being is and how we change, do you think there are conclusions you've reached that are different from how most people think about this kind of thing?
1: Well, I wouldn't say that I'm exactly original. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, of of history under our belt. And, and being original is dangerous. I agree. But I, I think that there are maybe... Some things that I have tended to talk about that are a little different than maybe the we tend to talk about as a American church uh, regarding the nature of change. Such as what? So I think, you know, a lot of times we as Christians, we, we, we tend to laser focus on this concept of sanctification, where uh, the Spirit of God is transforming our hearts that have already been brought to life through the power of the Spirit, and as we become Christians. And we tend to focus on sanctification, right? What happens uh, inside of us to make us holier than we are now? Um, But that's not the only type of Christian change that exists. There are uh, other—and that's not the only type of change that human beings can experience. And so I've tended to focus on kind of trying to answer this question, what are different ways— that people change, not different ways that people can change, but what are the different categories of change that human beings can undergo? And how do we understand
0: them? Are they valid? Are they not valid? How do we think about that? I wanted to have you on knowing that that was sort of your focus, because I wanted to think about this as it pertains to racism. So there's a lot of talk. I mean, our ministry is, you know, devoted to prayer about racial strife, right? So if there's uh, racist attitudes and blind spots and that kinds of things, how do we think about change? As it relates to those topics?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question, especially since we live in a society that is not Christian majority. You know, if we want to see the kind of change kind of happen on a societal level that we really desire, that's going to require us to be able to play outside of our own pool of just kind of conservative American Christianity. and And because of that— um, we need to begin thinking about in different ways that we can partner with those who may not be able to be sanctified right now because they do not have the Spirit of God even in their hearts uh, in order to build kind of bridges and partnerships to affect the kind of societal change that we're hoping happens in order to more faithfully
0: align with kind of God's plan for human flourishing. So if you've got different categories or different approaches, and I don't mean to speak ill of any of these, but at one level, You've got the hope that a changed heart will lead to diminished racist attitudes. And I think of a guy like Tom Terrence, who we've had on the podcast, who's a former Klansman. Mm -hmm. And the Lord saved him and the Lord changed his heart. And he went from hating people of other races to working towards ethnic unity. Yeah. And that's, I mean,
1: that's the gold standard, if you will, right? Like, that's what we hope happens in all of us. All the time, as the Lord unveils our eyes through His grace, He changes us from the inside out. And what we once were, we are no
0: longer because grace has grown uh, new aspects of who we are. Amen. And then, so if that's one kind of change, you're also, you know, there's folks who want to change policy, there's fo- folks who want to change sort of social norms, there's any number of different ways you could be. Uh, looking to change things, and do I hear you right in saying we we want to take a multi pronged approach? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we live as Christians in the world, and as such,
1: we want to uh, take advantage of all of the avenues of change that are available to us. Maybe think about it in terms of your own you know personal devotions with the Lord. There are many things that the Lord can use to to transform us. So uh, there are times that me sitting down and reading the Psalms is incredibly transformative towards my heart, and that's a wonderful thing. But that's not the only thing that the Lord uses to transform who I am, right? I love being outside in nature. My wife and I would go on hikes, kind of consistently, and try to be outside whenever we can. And you know, some of those. Some of those places that we have been, just the the breathtaking beauty there, draws my heart to the grandeur and glory of God.
0: Romans one, and
1: Romans one, yeah, absolutely. That is not uh, that is not invalid. But there's multiple ways that the Lord uses to change my heart, and the and and kind of loading everything into one of those categories ultimately cuts me off from kind of greater grace that I could receive. And in the same way, uh, you know, we, we we certainly want to be invested in. Uh, Christian change, where we're seeing hearts be renovated by the Holy Spirit. However, that's not the only kind of change that can happen in order to produce good effects in society.
0: You mentioned multiple change agents and different ways the Lord works. I mean, the, the primary way, apart from you know the direct action of God in my life that I am made better, is my wife. And I mentioned to her today what we were talking about. We
1: and we are so all thankful. so thankful for uh, her.
0: Yeah, yeah, pray for her. Um, that comes up periodically. But anyway, I was talking to her about what you and I were going to talk about, and she said something to the effect of, well, what about non-Christians and racism? And it's not that your work ignores that at all.
1: No, not at all.
0: So, so one of the things that uh, is so helpful for us as
1: Christians are these longstanding creeds and confessions that uh, our forefathers have written, uh, certainly not always perfect, but oftentimes serve as a good guide and are a reminder of things that we can tend to be a little reductionistic on. Sure. So, one of the things that, uh, that, that, that I have found profoundly helpful is part of the Westminster, kind of the Westminster Standards, where the, the Westminster Standards talk about a category of uh, righteousness called civic righteousness. Uh, What civic righteousness is, is it's deeds and actions that are done uh, that are not of moral benefit before God, but are of societal benefit. So think of maybe a situation where you have uh, a grandmother walking across the street and gets stranded when her walker falls over. Uh, Now, an individual could go and uh, rescue her and— you know, pick her walker back up and make sure that she makes it safely across the street. Society is better for that having been done, and that woman is better for that having been done, and things would be worse if those things had not been done. And yet, that uh, you know, the scriptures say, without faith it is impossible to please God. And so that kind of action, should the person not uh, be in a faith relationship with the Lord, that was not of any moral benefit. To the person who did that, and yet at the same time, for the sake of the flourishing of the human race and the benefit of of us all, we're glad that that has happened. And that can happen on a societal level as well. I mean, you think of, you know, think of even things that are happening geopolitically right now. Uh, Just about everybody would rather live in like, I don't know, pick a random city, Topeka, Kansas right now versus a border town in Ukraine, because there's a certain amount of political stability that gives uh, space for more flourishing in Topeka, Kansas, than there is uh, kind of at the intersection of Russia and Ukraine. That does not mean that human beings are inherently more moral inside of Topeka, Kansas, than they are at the border uh, of Russia and Ukraine, but rather there's a greater amount of civic righteousness that individuals are acting in accordance with more of God's law that works
0: to benefit human beings better. So are you saying in regards to racism, it is possible for someone who doesn't know the Lord to perhaps be better on this issue than someone who does.
1: A hundred percent.
0: So, yeah, I mean, that's, I appreciate your unequivocal answer there, but that's, it's a little bit surprising to hear you say that. Not because it's surprising to hear it come out of you, but that's just often not how we think.
1: Yeah, you're right, Austin. And, you know, one of the things that as Christians, we have often been willing to study others and we're often hesitant to be studied by others. And we, that's to our harm, right? I mean, that's just to our harm. And the truth of the matter is that throughout its long history, I think that the church has been the greatest hope for the world that has existed. Make no mistake about it. And we, we, we have a message that's different than everybody else's. And yet, we as weak and frail human beings are captive to cultural ideas and there are times that individuals who are not reconciled to God have, on particular issues, been better than we have been, to our shame, but also that allows us to be thankful for the way that God even
0: uses unregenerate individuals to help correct and guide his church. Yeah, and it's his hand that we trust in all of this. So as it pertains to sanctification, then, as a work of God— why should you and I spend time doing what we're doing right now? Podcasting? Yeah, having a con- <laughs> <podcasting>. <laughs> having a conversation trying to persuade somebody.
1: Well, I think there's a few different reasons. One is that the Lord can use things like this uh, in order for our sanctification to happen, right? Like, uh, you and I, me have a friendship that spans uh, the better part of a decade now, and I can specifically identify ways that you have been incredibly helpful to me. In my thinking on, on race and ethnicity and uh, reconciliation and things of that nature, that's, ha- that's happened through conversation, right? As, as you kind of uh, challenged some of my thinkings and beliefs at various points, and, and I benefited from them and I grew from them. And that's part of how God sanctifies us. There are also non-Christians who can certainly grow in their ability to rightly put together pieces, as one does not need to be a Christian in order to interpret some things correctly, though one does need to be a Christian in order to grow in holiness.
0: I really appreciate, I mean, first of all, I so appreciate your friendship and your influence on me, so thank you for those kind words. Um, And I just appreciate your sort of, the, the humility that is characteristic of the way you think, Um, Because I think so often Christians can wrongly think that because we're Christians, we're better at everything, and that's just not the case.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes we do that by saying, well, so, so, so very few of us would say a Christian is inherently superior to plumbing or to heart surgery. I don't care the theological beliefs of my heart surgeon. I care if he's a good heart surgeon or whatever the medical thing may be. And then we approach something like racism, which is more a matter—I shouldn't have chosen heart surgery for the sake of clarity—which is more <laughs> which is more a matter of the heart than heart surgery. You know what I mean when I say that? I do. Right? And, and yet at the same time, uh, things like racism, ethnic tension, ethnic troubles, it's about more than just what's going on in our heart attitudes towards individuals. Um, as there are societal structures that are involved, there's historiography that's involved, there's personal narratives that are involved, there's particular patterns and such. And simply because one is reconciled to Jesus does not mean that one is inherently superior at reading all of those forces than someone who may share a different theological opinion than us.
0: And I think another way we can get this wrong, and you've spoken about this extensively, is by sort of bifurcating head and heart in a way that the bible doesn't really do and so i guess just to ask the hypothetical is it possible to have really really good sound well-rounded theology and be a racist part of that depends on
1: what we mean by theology right so you know it's interesting when we talk about doctrine we typically are thinking about propositional statements You know, so doctrine is what is in your church's uh, doctrinal statement, be it kind of the more minimalistic, ten-point evangelical code that we have, or a church that's adopted something like the New Hampshire uh, Baptist Confession and its significant lengthiness, or Westminster Confession, or something like that, right? Where there's uh, a lengthier doctrine. We tend to think of, that's doctrine, and that means that other things aren't doctrine. You know, it's interesting, when we look at the Bible— The purpose of the Bible is human transformation. The Bible wasn't written for God. It was written by God to me, to you, so that we can be transformed, which means that if there isn't transformation attached to it, we actually aren't using doctrine the way that it's meant to be used, and also it means that we've misunderstood what doctrine is. So, is human beings should be kind? Is that doctrine? Is human beings should care about their neighbor more than they care about themselves. Is that
0: doctrine? I, I think I remember Jesus saying something like that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. And and oftentimes we say, well, that's application. But no, it's it's doctrine, too. And so one of the really interesting things is that is that, say you have an individual who subscribes to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith that I would ascribe to as well, and yet that individual is not marked by kindness— in how they speak of others they disagree with. They are not marked by patience. They are not marked by um, a humility in how they engage. I actually agree less with that person than someone that may not subscribe to the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, but subscribe to some other evangelical confession, because that kindness, that love, that charity— is itself doctrine as well. And I think sometimes we look at doctrine and say, well, doctrine is just propositional statements. No, you don't get that necessarily in the Bible, that doctrine is part of how we live. So those, those, those categories of creeds and confessions are actually narrower than the category of doctrine. Doctrine is not just what's written down in those creeds and confessions.
0: That's so well said. So you're not buying it that you can have good theology and just forget to love your neighbor.
1: I think you can have good theology in spaces, but not love your neighbor. So, here's another thing. Uh, So, I, I, you know, in my PhD work, I was a minor in systematic theology, which is enough to get myself patted on the head by the real theologians. Uh, But, uh, you know, that's that's fine. I'm I'm primarily a counselor. You know, I read about 10,000 pages of systematic theologies. And you know what? One systematic theology stood above the rest when it came to the doctrine of God. It was the Roman Catholic one. Mm. It was better than any of the Protestant ones that I had seen. Um, And I've read most of the major Protestant theologies. Its richness, its depth, its complexity, its engagement with the Church Fathers was so robust. And yet at the same time, a few pages later, you have Mariolatry and the anathema uh, spoken over anyone who believes in justification by faith. So it's entirely possible for someone to have very, very right theology, in one category and not know God. It's entirely possible for one to have very, very right theology in many categories. And still we stare at them and say, Yes, but you're not one that I should follow, because the full orb nature of your life leaves significant gaps in your holiness.
0: Kind of that the the knowledge of God that James speaks of demons having, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Now of course the larger question is, can one be that errant in certain forms of practice? and still be a Christian? And that's a much more
0: challenging question. And we ought to be careful answering that one, right? That's right.
1: And, you know, I think the longer that I live, the more I'm willing to simply reserve those answers for the Lord, who sees the heart, who understands how wrong one can be, Uh, rather than me simply relying on my reading of, of texts and things like that. There are certainly things that are very clearly outside the bounds, right? Like if if someone denies the Trinity, uh, that's a major thing, because then at that point we're worshiping a different deity, a deity cast in our own image. But, you know, when it comes to kind of some of uh, many of our historical uh, forebears, especially in America, who got, uh, you know, racial matters terribly wrong, what's the cutoff line? I, I don't have an answer for that, and I think that as much as we want to answer those questions, the greater question of more importance is what can we learn from mistakes of the past uh, rather than trying to evaluate this person's in, this person's out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not that that question's unimportant. And in working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we need to be applying those standards to ourselves. But I, I think your humility in saying that you can't answer it is not uh, saying the question's unimportant. It's just that it's so important there's only one who can answer it. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you so much. This, is, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you for your clarity. Thank you for your boldness and for your humility in working through these hard questions. So would you like to open us in prayer and I'll close us?
1: I would love to. Uh, Father God, we are grateful that you have called us out to be your people. And we were once in alienation from you and you have brought us close. And for that, we are grateful, Lord. Uh, I do pray that Uh, You would be helping us as Christians grow in our sanctification, specifically involving uh, matters of race and ethnicity, where there are holes in our view uh, of of how we reconcile well, of what we consider to be truth and and not. Would you help us? Would you lead us after your own heart? And Lord, I ask that you would help us all be wise as we seek to partner with those who are uh, not Christians and yet very well can be allies when it comes to these particular issues We ask that you would help us to be salt and light wherever we
0: are. Amen. Father, thank you for the wisdom you've given many brothers and sisters in the faith. Particularly, thank you for Nate's wisdom on these matters. Lord, we pray that you would make us humble, that you would make us holy, that um, you would be eliminating our blind spots, that you would be helping to show us ways in which we inconsistently love you and, by extension, love our neighbor's um, we just pray that in all of us, you would make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for the time, folks. Uh, thank you for listening. You can learn more about our work at youwepray.com. Grace and peace.